Have you heard about the guys over at Chinook Seedery? They are the only sunflower seed company that is taking the time to connect with college athletes and trying to help them build their brand. They have eight flavors from mild to wild with way less salt and no sandpaper tone. So check them out today over at ChinookSeedery.com. Lindsay ends well with a strikeout. Oh, Kogan, yeah. You see, you don't know where the macho man is coming from. Yeah, you're right. You don't know anything about the macho man, Randy Savage, and where I'm coming from. Because it's mind-boggling to you, yeah. One man could make it to the top of the World Wrestling Federation mountain, yeah. All by myself. Here I am, up on the stage. Here I go, being styled Here I go, turn the what is up, everybody? Welcome back. It is time for Season 8 Premiere, Episode 1 of the In Off The Bench Podcast. I'm Daniel Ball, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts, my partners in crime, my brothers, my mother, mother, Jim Cross, Randy Jowers, and guys, welcome back. I'm excited. We got a good episode, man. We got to talk to Andrew Lindsay. University of Tennessee baseball star. We're going to get his backstory. We're going to grow the game with him, but we're also going to talk about Omaha. They, they came up a little bit short, but I think there's some fuel that is going to last through the offseason because as the song that you hear in the background states, it's time to turn the page. It's time to look and redirect for the future. What's next for Andrew Lindsay? We're going to find out. So, guys, let's get right to it. Help me welcome on to the show with the biggest interview on podcasting this week, our man, University of Tennessee baseball star, Andrew Lindsay. Andrew, our man, season eight is underway. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, man. Excited to be on here. Yeah, dude, we are stoked. Obviously, you know, just got back from Omaha. We're going to get into all those things. But, you know, we always start with breaking the ice before we get into your story. And being in season eight, man, we got new questions. So you're going to be the first one to get these icebreaker questions. And the first one, man, ain't no joke. If there was a zombie apocalypse... And you could pick three of your volunteer baseball teammates. Who is going to be a part of your zombie apocalypse team? The first first person I'm taking is 100% Seth Halverson. Uh, he looks he walks around sometimes looking like he's already killed a few things. So, got to take him first overall pick there. Um, probably second one would be Hollis Fanning. He's he's an eye down, but He's a country boy, and he's he's got the tactical skills. He's probably gonna know how to shoot something or catch a fish. So we're gonna we're gonna be eating good. I heard he can cook. Um, the third one, man, I don't know about that. I I guess 
I guess maybe Cal. He's a he's a sturdy fella. So. I, I was I was thinking Blake Burke had to be somewhere in that mix. Like I'm, nah, I need California I need somebody. Kid. Oh, California kid. He ain't as tough as he looks. You say. <laughs> I I think he's tough. I just don't know if he's uh I don't know if he's surviving out in the wild. Look, hey Andrew, you ain't saying nothing. We don't know. He's a two time guest on here. We thought well, there was a bear question we used to have, and we thought he might say he'd wrestle the bear because we had some guests say it. This man said he'd play dead, and I was like, Blake, <laughs> you as big as a bear, and you're gonna be the only guest that says you're gonna play dead. So yeah, we we got we got an idea of Blake. So I feel you on that. With that question, Bert, I mean, Blake is so goofy, you're going to get a goofy answer. No doubt. All right, second one, man. If you had to do karaoke, what's your go-to song? Mm. <laughs> Tequila, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, probably Wagon Wheel, Darius Rucker. All right, all right. This one, this one got added on, man. My wife said, if you're going to ask about music, he said, ask him what his rapper name would be. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't, I don't listen to rap that much, so I That's, don't know. That makes it even more fun because whatever name you probably came up with probably wouldn't fit right, but it's all good. And Is Eric, it? Daniel, you got one on the fly. What would you, what would you give Andrew? What would be his rapper name? I don't know. Uh, don't rappers usually go with like Lil in some, in front of something? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Lil, they all Lil, call me Lens here, so I guess maybe Lil, Lil Lens. Lens. But Lens has to definitely be with a Z. Z Z on the end, yeah. Lindsay. Okay, right. that's that's it right there, Lil Lens. All right, who was your childhood celebrity crush? Don't lie to us, Andrew. Oh man, maybe. Wendy Peppercorn from Sandlot. Solid, solid. Daniel, this episode. I used to have well. routine baseball. Uh, when they first started coming out with shirts and stuff, uh, they came out with one that said, Lindsay Peppercorn is a dime. I used to have that and wear it all the time. And that means it's passing from generation to generation, Daniel. Like, she was it for us. She's it for Andrew. That's, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, beauty, beauty don't change, man. <laughs> no, she's classic, man. She's classic. Good. All right, last one, and I'll let Daniel get into your story. This is the one that actually carried over from last season because it's important. This is a sports show. Who is your favorite athlete growing up? Probably, I guess maybe Chipper. Old Chipper Jones. This is a solid answer. As a matter of fact, if our other host was here, um, Randy looks like Chipper Jones, and we're not even – he gets told that on a daily basis. It's actually pretty damn funny. That's awesome. The only difference is he doesn't walk around with a can of dip in his lip. <laughs> or or, or, champ, or championship rings either, but, you know, that's that. All right, Andrew, man, let's let's get into the, the, the real meat of this this interview. <laughs> let's Let's talk your story. So take me to the beginning, man. Tell me a little bit about where you're from. I'm from a really, really small town outside of Nashville. It's called New Johnsonville, Tennessee. It's right on the Tennessee River. Um, moved there when I was like two or three. Um, was fortunate to grow up in a neighborhood of a lot of guys. We had five guys in the neighborhood. I was the youngest of all of them. Um, and we I, grew have, up. I have five guys too, but that's a burger burger place. <laughs> yeah. 
but uh yeah we we grew up every day of summer was you know a nine inning game of baseball with a wood bat and tennis ball so we didn't break any windows um maybe some football and then when the when the sun went down we'd turn on some lights over at my house and turn and start playing some basketball i mean that's probably to some me, to me that's the makings of an elite athlete when you go as a child growing up i spent my day from sun up to the street lights <laughs> coming on playing sports and when it was raining outside you were inside figuring out how to create some type of game inside the house <laughs> Sometimes if it wasn't raining too much, we'd still be playing basketball. We love that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so New Johnsonville, is it, some, yep. is it something where when people ask you, you just say Nashville or do you actually like say? Nope, I say Nashville. Yeah, <laughs> it's just an easier landmark. It's easier to, for people to kind of get a grasp and idea. But, you know, given that your hometown isn't far from there, small place, is it a place where everyone knows each other? Or is it a Absolutely, little bit yeah. yeah, so you're going to you're going to the convenience store, you're going to the grocery store, you're going to church, and it's like you're around the same people all the time. You run into a lot of the same and if you don't know them directly, you you know you definitely have acquaintance acquaintances that you both know. So Yeah, the, to me like there's there's some beauty to that. Um, but there's also like a curse that comes with that because I don't feel like you can get away with near as much. No, you don't get away with anything, but it's kind of a good accountability. Yeah, and I'm sure there's things, trouble. There's probably things that as you get older, your parents are going to tell you that, and you're going to be like, you knew that? You knew those things? Well, there's probably things that they know that, they're, that they haven't told you that they know, which um, sure. is, is, is crazy, but you know, talking about your parents and the family dynamics, who who did you grow up with? You have mom, dad, brothers, sisters? I have mom, dad, and an older brother. How old? He's 25, about to turn 26. All right, so you guys are growing up. You go fighting a little bit. Who Who's tougher? I think I'm tougher. I got to be, be honest. Um, definitely when we were younger, though, before I hit my growth spurt, he was he was a bit chunky, um, so he would win the fights just out of sheer size. That's what made you tough, man. You know how to take a beating. You know how to you know how to handle weight. What you what what you have to do in those situations is just you just got to outlast them. He'll he'll, he'll get tired <laughs> sooner, and that's your time. That's your time to take advantage. Yeah. Um, but obviously you talked about sports growing up. You talked about, you know, sun up to sun down, you know, outside doing something. But obviously you don't become an elite athlete or an elite baseball player playing in the SEC um, without getting into the actual sport of baseball. So at what age do you get into baseball and, and how old were you? And what was it T-ball? Was it like a coach's pitch or was it just straight, you know, you're getting folks thrown off the bump and you're, you're getting after it? I can I can definitely remember when I was four or five waiting for dad to get home uh, with a ball, bat, and glove in hand, waiting for him to get out of his truck, wouldn't even let him go inside, um, just immediately start throwing. And sometimes he would make me let him go inside first, but um, a lot of times it was 
as soon as he got out the truck from work, hit me some pop flies, ground balls, throw a little bit. So it was it was a young age for sure. So eventually you'll get this feeling, or at least I hope that everybody um, will get this feeling is when you drive home, you get out and you have the feeling and the emotion that your kid is over the moon to see you and do something like that's a great feeling. So when you, when you tell me those things, like it puts me like in a different mind space. I used to think of when I was a kid and I would do that to my parents, but now I think about me being a parent and what that feeling is like when my kid um, runs up to me and they're wanting to show me or tell me or do something immediately when I get home. It's, it's, you've got to put it in perspective because it's a big deal and it feels great. And no matter how good or bad of a day you've had at work or how long it's been, like, that's always a great feeling. And I I kind of cherish that moment. So it's nice to hear you talk about that. And I'm sure your dad would be proud to hear you say something like that. But um, you grow up playing baseball, you work with your dad, you work in the, you know, outside with all your friends, you start playing organized ball and eventually you're going to high school. Um, you earn pitcher of the year honors in 2017 and 2018. Um, what high school was it um, that you attended? Waverly Central. Waverly Central. So tell me a little bit about Waverly Central um, as far as the size and the level of competition when it comes to high school baseball in Tennessee. Waverly was a 2A school, so uh, not a very big school at all. I was actually homeschooled, so I didn't attend the high school. Um, so I, I think if memory serves me, it was five, 600 students. Um, so we were really small, had a small school, had a pretty basic um, field. Um, I was fortunate to grow up with a lot of guys that were in my grade that we all played together in summer ball and stuff like that with. Um, so in my grade, we had basically the whole starting lineup was guys that all grew up with each other. Um, so that was pretty awesome. So let me ask you this. Do you, you feel like you missed out on anything by being homeschooled? I think I, I got to do a lot of things that um, other kids didn't necessarily get to do, which my mom is, is going to be mad that for me saying this, but um, you know, I got to go, I got to go to different places because I was homeschooled with my dad for work. Um, I mean, in February, I can remember going skiing and all the other kids were in school still. And I just got to work ahead and go out there, go skiing and still get my work done, but go on an adventure with my dad. So really it's, it's almost like you want to tell the kids that went to school, like, what do you feel like you missed out on by not being homeschooled? Like that's, that's, that's where it's at, man. Jim, if, yeah. if, if we would have been homeschooled, we would never would have made it. Never. <laughs> Bro, I left at fourth period every day anyway. So I came back for football practice though. This dude, I'd see him in the morning and then in study hall. And then I wouldn't see him again until we had, <laughs> we had pads on it after practice. Or after school. But look, that's how that's how Andrew looked. 12th grade year, I go to set up for registration, and they tell me that I have to take 10th grade English and 12th grade English. And I said, for what? I passed. And they said, they looked back, and they said, 
that I had, I didn't have the mandatory minimal attendance. And so I actually went from second period, uh, 12th grade English to third period, 10th grade English, my senior year. No joke. But then I still left a fourth period every day after. Dude, and the, <laughs> the dude took more English and literature classes than anybody I know and still can't write a paper. Oh, hey. Oh. Uh, maybe you gonna let him do you I, like that? Man? I, I don't know. Of course he is. I, I'm just gonna let it go. I was there. This, this I was show, there. I this was show's there. about Andrew and not me, so I'm just gonna let it ride. <laughs> You're right. So, so talk to me a little bit about homeschooling. But you're at Waverly. You have great seasons at Waverly, um, but you end up going to Walters um, State. So, how does how does the homeschooling like recruitment process work obviously you got to have grades and transcripts and, and turn all those things in but was this strictly a baseball move or this was i'm homeschooled i want to see what the next level is like so i'm going to try juco or was this because they're you know a great name in juco baseball you were like i want to go there and play it was a little bit of all of that i think um, I didn't really have a lot of offers out of high school. Um, I didn't play much summer ball as far as traveling to Lake Point or anything like that. So um, I didn't have a lot of schools looking at me. Walter State came to see me in Waverly um, at one of my high school games. Um, I think maybe one other college did that. Um, so I looked them up, never heard of them before, looked them up. They had a great tradition going on there, a lot of winning. So I thought, um, along with I, a guy named Daniel Webb, he played for the White Sox. Um, he moved to my hometown. He went to a JUCO, and he had good things to say about going to the JUCO route first. And so with that combination of things going on, I, I thought it was a good opportunity to go to a little bit of different scenery in East Tennessee and get away from the hometown a little bit and play some college baseball there. You, you mentioned your boy in the, in the White Sox organization, but I got to ask you, when you were at, at Walters, there was a guy by the name of Ben Joyce there. Mm -hmm. you, you imagine at <laughs> that. Yeah. yeah right. So, <laughs> so when you're there and you're seeing this guy for the first time, do you go, that guy is different. Like he's going to play pro baseball. Or was it like just another guy and he kind of developed into what you see now? I mean, seeing both of the Joyce twins, um, we we both got there the same fall and looking at them, they were, they're both physically impressive from the get go. So, um, you know, it was, they definitely had the, the physical presence for it. Um, and then watching them throw, it was, I say that they're the most unathletic, athletic person I've ever seen in my life. Cause, um, Ben, we were in the gym at Walter state and we had, we were doing shots for conditioning. So there was a shot that coach would give you. And if you made it, no conditioning, if you missed it, then there was a, a whatever he had set up for that shot was on the line. And Ben was right. He put him right under the goal facing the whole court and um, Ben hands him the ball and Ben asks him if he can jump to shoot the ball. So he doesn't have to shoot from directly under the hoop, reaching one way or the other. 
And he says, yeah, you can jump. Well, Ben jumps and pins it on the bottom of the rim. <laughs> and obviously we, we all do our running and stuff, but it was like, how are you this athletic and this built for just like, how do you do all of this stuff on the baseball field? Look like you're such an athlete and then don't even get the ball above the rim. It's, mm. It was crazy. Right. But like Ben Joyce, why are you the way that you are? His story <laughs> yeah. was phenomenal with itself because what did he say he shot up that senior year of high school, Daniel, nine inches? Yeah, he said he grew like a foot in one in one year. And it was like, what? Yeah. So he's he's a story within itself. Everybody talks about the 105 mile an hour fastball, but just like the growth spurt of senior year, and then like you're just talking about with that story and then like this, apparently now he like deadlifts like a million pounds. Like I don't know what's going on. Ben Joyce is just a yeah. fascinating story. Yeah, he's definitely a freak of nature in a lot of ways. <laughs> Good but, and bad. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, showing up, he was obviously built like he is now, maybe a little bit bigger and stronger. But um, you know, he was injured that first year at Walters, and so we didn't get to see him really throw at all. And then he came back. For the, the second year and his first pitch live against hitters is 101 and the whole dugout is just like we're hovered around this ipad that we had just got like a week before and we're looking at it just shocked we don't even know what to say and then the hitter comes back in there and we tell him and he's like yeah i didn't see it and they probably y'all probably thought y'all had uh, some broken equipment. All right, this ain't working right. It's it's yeah. saying one on one. Redo that again, Ben, please. Yeah, I mean it was just insane watching him though. Well, you know, speaking of insane, man, it, your season obviously, you know, that twenty twenty season was a COVID season, and we don't have to get into the the ins and outs of that, but. You know, despite it being a shortened season, dude, you were four and one with a one point seven four ERA over six starts. You had thirty nine Ks, ten walks. You had pitched thirty one innings. Um, you helped lead the guys to a D, you know, a D one JUCO World Series as a freshman. You made nineteen appearances, three starts, twenty nineteen posting, uh, and twenty nineteen posted a five and zero. Oh, record one save on the year you had a 208 era you racked up 66 strikeouts 47 innings pitched in 2019 between those two seasons you had a lot of success you know with five and zero, and then four and one and it looked like that covid season was probably going to be another really really big time season for you just given that you were four and one um going into it um you know, tell me a little bit about, you know, the moments from those two seasons and just your overall experience at, at Walters. Like, what were some of your favorite moments and what do you think was the most uh, beneficial moment of those two seasons where you're like, man, that was the moment where I knew I could be successful? Man, there's a lot to, there's a lot to unpack there, but, um, yeah, I mean, at JUCO, you're not finding a lot of guys that are, I guess, princesses in the sense that they've always been kind of coddled. Um, you know, it's always kind of been easy for them. They've always been the best on their team. They got recruited to a really, really good school. 
um, you're, you're finding a lot of guys that just love the game, want to play, and just work hard to be able to get out there on the field for no fans, no crowd. It's just probably three or four parents and maybe a school administrator that wanted to show up that day. So it's really just a lot of fun being able to play with the guys, a game that you love. It's a lot of really good talent. Um, and you're just out there grinding. It's a lot of fun just being on the field. A lot yeah. of what you just said, yeah, I was going to say, Daniel, a lot of what he just said, though, he was just talking about playing in front of the, the small crowd. A lot of these guys that we've had on from college that we're now having on talking about their minor league, they're talking about just how much easier the pressure is when they're playing in a single A ballpark where there might be 10 fans in the crowd. And yeah, it's a lot easier when you ain't got, you know, five to 15,000, depending on which ballpark you at, like, you know, yelling at you. um, At Walters, I know because, you know, I, I played at Southwest Tennessee, so we played Walters, we played Jackson. (laughs) You know, we, we've played the Juco route and that's a grind, dude. Like it is. When you're traveling, like the travel's no joke. The places that you play are, you don't know what kind of surface you're going to get. You don't know what kind of weather you're going to sure. get. And there could be 10 people there. It could be one person there. It could be 100 people. Like you never know. Um, but I think there's there's something special that JUCO players gain. I don't know what that certain something is, but I feel like when you play JUCO, there's a level of grit and a level of grind that you have that not everybody has because you've had those experiences. And with you, you take those experiences and you wrap it all up and you go, all right, man, I'm, I'm ready to move on to the next level. So you, you transfer to Charlotte. So tell me what, why was it Charlotte? I think in the fall, before my second year at Walters, I went and visited Charlotte. We played them, and then I stayed for a visit. Um, I, I I mean, the campus is beautiful there. Um, they had a lot of – they had a new coach. Um, he was pitching coach at, at UNC Chapel Hill. Um, he was a phon- phenomenal pitcher for Chapel Hill when he was a player. Um, they had some deals with um, pitching performances, like um, – programs with p3 and um, driveline i think they worked with as well so it was it was quite enticing coming from uh, a juco where we didn't have any technology really um, and then going there and they had trackman they had rapsodo that were working with driveline and p3 so my i mean when you get shown all that and you're just googly eyed at all of the data analytics and and things like that that you can get a hold of it's it's pretty enticing for sure yeah charlotte is a very underrated program we're obviously going to talk about that season and then they're obviously going to come up in the path of during your time at tennessee um but constantly a team that's you know in the postseason um you know so that year you made 12 starts over 20 appearances finishing six and two on the year um, you led the team 81 innings pitch and finished second uh, on the staff with 76 strikeouts, obviously helping them, like I just said, to the NCAA Greenville Regional. Let's talk about that competition difference. You know, you talk about, you know, the track man and all the different technology, man, but just 
when you go from Walters, you go to Charlotte, like, I mean, um, was it, was it a little intimidating at first that competition jump? Within the program or the teams that we were playing? Both really. I mean, cause I know you're obviously going to get challenged with better, you know, you're obviously jumping up to a higher level program. So, you know, the, the iron sharpens iron on the team. You're going to go up against some, some top talent there as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I was excited for it really. Um, I think, I think I was a little bit more intimidated just by all the new faces and stuff. Um, but not necessarily the competition. I was excited for it, ready to get, get working with, uh, like I said, all the technology, but also get around some maybe more polished dudes and pick their brains, maybe help them out myself. Um, but just get around, you know, a, a, an environment where I would be challenged and be able to grow some more and, um, that was within the program. And then, I mean, obviously the competition, especially that year in Conference USA, we had four teams in the top 25. So, I mean, you're playing that year also, we were playing um, four conference games every weekend. So we were playing uh, one game on Friday, two on Saturday, and then one on Sunday. So that created an, another level of grind also in that season that you had, I hadn't really had before. So it was, it was definitely – a little bit of a, a change of scenery and a little bit of a jump in competition, but man, was it fun. It was a lot of fun. So you said an important thing. You were talking about picking the brain of others and, you know, it's undervalued what you can learn um, from other guys who've, who've been in the program longer, upperclassmen, you know, if you could say that like you could pick one thing that, that was, you know, taught to you that somebody helped you that that made that season easier, you know, looking back, do you remember what it was like that that one thing that maybe somebody said that just helped you be successful? I mean, I think it might have been talking with Austin Roses. Um he transferred out and went to Missouri. Um but he was coming back from an injury. He came from another JUCO down in Texas and I mean, I up until that point, I'd thrown a two seam, but he had a different take on it. And with us, we just talked and kind of tampered with the grips and stuff. And eventually I ended up with the grip that I have now. Um, but, you know, he he had a, a different take on the two seam that I had never seen before. And I just picked it up and started playing with it. And it, it turned out to be a really good pitch for me. Man, that's all, that's exactly what I was just talking about when I said iron sharpens iron. That's somebody from your own team um, helping you um, get better. So I love that. Um, so, you know, I talked about you guys made it to the Greenville Regional. Um, anybody who's familiar with college baseball knows that the jungle is just something else. So, all right, so you make yeah. the jump from Walters, you get to Charlotte, and then you end up in – postseason baseball and you're in this electric atmosphere just talk to me about what it was like playing in that regional well earlier that year we went we went there for a weekend series and um it, I, it was definitely the one of the bigger crowds i'd ever played in front of and um they got that fence out in where like it's a little hill so they got a lot of fans that just sit out there on that hill and uh, I, I let a runner on either in the first or second, and um, I just hear this low voice that sounded like it came from, like, my shortstop that said, step off. 
and I stepped off and it was, it was all them out there behind the fence. And after that, they were all over me, man. <laughs> so that was my first experience there in, in Greenville. And then we go back there for the regional and like, I thought it was a, it was a crazy crowd when we went there in season. And then we get there and we play, I think Maryland first and the crowd is crowd's not really big. Obviously they're not, it's not the home team plan. So like it wasn't that bad. And then the second game we play is against them and it is truly a jungle, man. It was it, like, you just hear ringing in your ear from all the, all the fans yelling and how loud they are. So it definitely, I mean, we were talking about Southern Miss before we got on here. It's similar to that, in my opinion, where it's just so loud and there's the fans are so close to the field. Yeah. It's, it's one of the places that I got, because obviously I travel all around the sec and go to all the stadiums. It's one of the places I got, um, at the top of the list that I want to go to specifically in a postseason environment, even though I don't root for them, just just to see what everybody's talking about because it's everything that you're saying it is, and and I want to experience it. So obviously, um, that didn't go well for you, for y'all, but you know you did get that y'all did get that experience. You got that experience personally to to feel what it was like in that in that postseason action. Um, but then you know you know looking and studying you you took the year off, man. You know, what, what's the reason for taking the year off after that year in Charlotte? There was a lot of things that went into it, um, both on and off the field, but I mean, it was COVID year. Um, didn't have the best living situation. Ended up halfway through the year, getting my apartment broken into while I was in it. My car was stolen, totaled, um, some other personal things going on and then on the field um, wasn't necessarily having the year that I thought I could have. I don't think it was necessarily a bad year, but it wasn't the year that I was hoping I would have. And then some things with, I mean, maybe some coaching decisions and things that I felt weren't what I was looking for out of the coaching staff. So I got you. Yeah, yeah. And that and that's a good enough answer, man. I understand. It's a it was a it was a struggle, clearly. But nonetheless, you know, you get an opportunity to go to Tennessee. So, man, how does, you know, the situation that you just described, how do you go from there to being able to go to the University of Tennessee? Well, in that year off, I I did a lot of things, but one of the things I did was coach a a 13-year-old travel ball team. And uh, in doing that, I I really found myself feeling like I did as that probably four or five-year-old, just loving the game, wanting to get out there and, and be around the field, the players, the, the teammates, working on the craft. Um, so I got to throw in and, and work, build my arm back up through a couple bullpens, um, called my head coach from Walter State, and – he got me connected with the Appy League up in Kingsport, Tennessee, with the Axemen. And uh, my first outing, I was like 94, 96. And they sent my stuff over to Tennessee and said, hey, you need to check this dude out. And they showed up like four or five days later and started talking to me about coming to Tennessee ball. That's, that's what I want to do. I want to take a year <laughs> off and then come back and throw <laughs> 
Daniel, you've taken like 20 years off. Maybe you're throwing a hundred. Maybe I'm throwing, yeah. <laughs> when I when I get down there in a couple of weeks, I'm gonna get the catcher's mitt. Let's do this. <laughs> and when the rate and then when the radar gun doesn't say what we want it to do, we'll just we'll just say it's broken, you know. Be like, hey, yeah, hey, y'all, y'all gonna have to record that. Yeah, uh, it's like it's gotta be that, released. It's like the movie the the rookie. You know, he's gonna throw it and think that he only threw seventy six, but it's ninety six. It's all good. <laughs> So, you know, you get to Tennessee, man, and it's, man, place is just different. You know, Knoxville is, oh, man, it's it, it's it's kind of got its own, you know, majestic feel about it, especially when it comes to how uh, they are about their sports, right? I mean, um, every, yeah. everybody's passionate. And so you get, you get an opportunity to go somewhere like that with Tony V at the helm. So what an opportunity. Nice. And I'm gonna cut right into it, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the to the middle of the season. Um, you know, I I got to see you down in Baton Rouge. Uh, you you came in in relief of Chase Burns in the second game, um, and you were solid, more than solid, right? Um, you know, you uh, believe you went four and two thirds. I don't even have wrote down. I think on top of my head, only giving up one run against that. Uh, obviously now championship lineup. Um, you know, and then after that, shortly you just after- had to throw that in there, huh? but but shortly after that man you know things get mixed up and it seemed to be something and and that's one of the reasons why i wish randy uh randy didn't have power outage because he believes in his personal opinion not like you're the one player that made all the change but the change in the starting rotation and moving you to that starting spot he believes that is when everything changed and the momentum turned for tennessee so what was it like you know, what, what's that conversation like where you're coming from the bullpen to the, all of a sudden you're going to be our Friday night guy? Man, it was it was crazy. Uh, you know, there's always there's always speculation on different things, especially when things aren't going well. But um, I mean, I would heard from a couple guys that it could be me. Um but it would, I mean, nothing from the coaches until we left for Arkansas. Um, and it was like five minutes before we left. It was real simple. Wasn't anything crazy. Um, and obviously Arkansas didn't necessarily pan out the way we would hoped it would have. Um, so, I mean, it, it, I mean, when you talk about the, the season turning around for us, you can go to that Vanderbilt game and see where, it was, it was a dogfight, and you know, going into that last inning, I think it was, I think it was three one, and we hadn't had a whole lot of offensive production. Um, so I mean, really, when it comes to season shifting, you can look at that series, and it starts with two freshmen, in Dylan Dryling and uh, Kafaris Tears. And both of them had unreal at bats. I mean, KT hits a ball like 114 off of our batter's eye on a pitch low and away. And then Dryling comes up there and he's down to his last strike. We've got two outs in the inning and he somehow golfs a baseball from like his ankles out of the park to tie it up. So, I mean, you you could attribute it to – a lot of different things, but I mean, I think 
up until that point in the year, we hadn't been playing up to our potential. And that was kind of a, a point where we, most of the game, we hadn't shown what we were capable of. And then, you know, those two hits put us in a spot where uh, it was electric. I mean, Burns had an electric in, outing out of the pin in that game. Um, we walk it off and then we sweep the series. So, I mean, it was, it was a, a turning point for sure but I think it was a long time coming because we, we definitely have the talent and we had put together some good performances individually as hitters, but we hadn't all came together. And then that weekend, it, it definitely clicked. I think uh, part of it is we had Tony V obviously on this show last year. And he said every year, even if you have a lot of the same players, each team has to find its own identity and I feel like in that first part of the season, y'all hadn't found that identity yet. And to your point in that Vandy series and then around that time, I think y'all discovered who y'all were and realized that, like you said, it's not just one or two dudes. It's, it's everybody contributing. We're, we are a team loaded with talent and we can do this. And, and y'all, and y'all came together and, you know, some changes were made and everything. And, and and it did, and and the season just, I mean, it took a turn for Tennessee, and y'all were that team that we, all three on the show, expected you to be. And then it comes into the South Carolina series where, okay, well, the question still becomes, can they do it on the road? And y'all obviously go there and take care of business, but, you know, this, this episode is about you, so we got to talk about it, man. Co-pitcher of the week nationally, you go eight and a third, giving up no runs in Columbia, you know, just – Talk about like what that felt like, especially in a hostile environment when people are doubting you and what kind of confidence, you know, for the team, y'all playing that way, it gave y'all as y'all are heading towards the postseason. That weekend was huge for us. It, it proved to, we proved to ourselves that we were capable of doing it on the road. And that's a huge confidence boost, especially when, you know, we hadn't put together the gear that we needed to to be able to potentially host a regional and host a super regional. Um, so that was a huge confidence boost. But that outing in particular, um, I mean, my stuff was working well, but about the fifth or sixth inning, man, I was, I was really running out of fumes, and um, you know, I kept kept going. And Cal, my roommate and catcher. He kept running out there to me after, you know, I'd get a ground ball and I would run over to back up first base and he would be running over to back up first base too. And we'd get the out and I would turn around to run back. And I mean, I, I think a few times he threw his arm around me. and was like, let's go, man. Don't, don't slow down on me. Let's get back in there and get you resting, get you back out here. Um, and it was, it was, I mean, I can just remember so many different details from that game. Um, I can remember, uh, I think the first inning, we threw a ball into the outfield. Um, guy was still in second, and guy gets a third. And Cal's, I can see him walk back to the, to the, I guess catcher's box or whatever at right my home plate. And um, I just look at him and I'm like, "It's fine, dude. I got you." And you know, I get the next guy out and we hum, run back to the dugout. And you know, it, it was just there was so many things that were going right for us and me and Cal were locked in um, on what we were trying to do. And it just worked out. I mean, Dylan started us off on that game. Um, I, I threw a two seam to a lefty and he hit a, 
a really good hit down the line. Um, and Dylan Dryling, who's not really been playing that much out and left, he's not had a whole lot of innings in, on the defensive end, gets a good jump on the ball and makes a phenomenal play to save probably a, a double, maybe a triple on the first play of the game. So, I mean, it, it was it was a lot of things going right in that game. Yeah, no doubt. And like I said, I mean, y'all had, y'all had really turned and and uh, you know y'all are heading the right direction, and it, and it proves some doubters because that is a tough place to play. That's actually a question I want to ask you that I didn't actually have on here, but being that you know you had the opportunity to pitch in Baumwalker, in Al Bo- Alex Box, and Founders Park, which by all our guest accounts are basically maybe you know the three hardest places to play along with Duty Noble. Like you know, um, which environment do you feel like? Uh, putting you on the spot here, which one do you feel like the the crowd was, you know, the most intense? I mean, as a pitcher, you know, you got it harder than anybody. Um, which which one of those this season do you feel like was the toughest? Man, I mean, I think sheer volume was LSU. I think we set a record when we came down there for a single game attendance. Absolutely, yes. And it was it was absolutely bumping in there. Um, a lot of a lot of noise, a lot of volume. Uh, I mean, obviously, y'all put some runs up on the board, so that gave them a lot to cheer for. But man, those the fans in Arkansas they're they're into every pitch. <laughs> they're into everything. They know what's going on in the game. They're they know when things are good, like the smallest thing could be good for Arkansas and they're on it and letting you know. Um, so definitely both of those, I mean, South Carolina, I think, I don't think we got a full flavor of what they are capable of as a fan base. I think we kept them pretty quiet for the most part, but, um, yeah, I mean, all three of them are pretty tough, but I mean, LSU was, was a madhouse. You know, you know, you think about that, Daniel, like, I mean, we, we talked to all these guys and some of them say, you know, they didn't get the opportunity to play here, play there, but dude, Andrew, Andrew got to, to tow the rubber against the, the big, big boys in their houses. Like, I mean, there's, he he could say he's done it in all of them and, and he, he was successful in a lot of, I mean, Arkansas obviously had its struggles, but I mean, like you said, it's a, it's a loud place. And that was, you know, you were just getting the feel for the starting position, but obviously did well. Like I said, in Baton Rouge did extremely well in Columbia. Like Daniel, there's a lot to be said about that. I mean, it, not only that, I mean, just his whole career, he's been towing the rubber against the best. I mean, and going into their house and towing the rubber against the best. I mean, even at Charlotte, when you tell me you you go into ECU and you you do your thing and you experience that, and then you tow the rubber in places like Bomb Walker, Alex Box, and then you go to Omaha, you tow the rubber there. Like that resume is what championship resumes are made of. So, like when when we look at next season, and and we'll get into this, I'm sure, <clears throat> point tonight. But when we look at the projection for next season, those are the things that we look at. Who's coming back? Who's part of the roster? Why are they the team that we need to be looking at? And that's your resume and you are a reason why when we look at Tennessee, like we're not worried about what the future has for them. 
Yeah, so with that, man, you guys get put in the Clemson Regional with, at the time, the hottest team in baseball, Clemson, uh, was 17, 18 straight. And then your old team, Charlotte, you know, hey, why not throw a little fun in there and get the, get the team that, you know, you came from. So, um, you know, what what was your personal thoughts? Um, one, you know, Clemson being on the hot streak. Obviously, I'm not – I know based upon this conversation already – um, there, there's nothing that scares you, but you have to have some thoughts. Hey, we, we just got put in the hottest teams bracket. And, oh, by the way, the team that I came from, what, what were you thinking when you saw the, the regional bracket come out? I mean, when you get in the postseason, everybody's playing their best ball, and you're going to get a good team. There's not going to be any, any bad teams out there, especially – in the two, three seed matchup. Um, so, I mean, it, when I saw them pop up on the board, it was a good program. Um, I obviously knew a couple of the guys. I knew the coaching staff. Um, but for me, it was another game and another obstacle for us to have to go over to get to our ultimate goal. Um, so, I mean, it was cool to talk about and see, I mean, kind of the story unfold the way it did but at the end of the day it was another outing for me to go out there and give our our team the best chance to reach our goal and that you did man seven seven innings one earned run 10 k's so shout out to you you know hey got to take care of business old team or not um reminded them why why they uh recruited you there to begin with and then but man, we got to get to the game that you weren't pitching, man. Uh, obviously, like I said, the, this episode is about you. But man, the best game of the regionals—it's not even a debate. Um, I sat here and watched all fourteen innings of it, and was—I mean, my phone is blowing up with people who are not Tennessee fans, not Clemson fans. It, it's got all of college baseball fans, you know, just electrified, like. It was easily yeah. the best game. So talk to me about what it was like, man, the intensity of watching that game. It was unreal. I mean, I I lost my voice like three times during that game. And, you know, baseball players are superstitious. So we've, we've got our different spots in the dugout that we're all sitting in that we're – I mean, if we go a couple innings and we don't get a, any good hits or anything like that, you know, we're switching over um, to a different spot. I mean – uh, Zane hitting that home run. I mean, I didn't even watch the ball. As soon as he swung, I ran to the end of the other the other end of the dugout. I didn't see where it landed till after the game, and I was watching a replay of it. Um, but that ball was, I mean, he's been he's been such a a dynamic player throughout his college career, and he had such a rough fall um, leading up to the season. But you you could just see the talent and the level of of focus that he put into his work and you knew he was built for moments like that and you know he didn't disappoint obviously in that moment and he delivered down in southern miss with a three-run bomb down there too so i mean he's that game i mean dolander gave us a good start burns came out of the bullpen through 97 pitches he, he had an electric outing out of the pen at one point his bases loaded in extra innings I mean, a walk hit, hit by pitch, any of it could, you know, end the game in a walk off for 
the hottest team in baseball, like you said. So, I mean, there was so much intensity there, so much, um, like you said, you could feel the crowd getting more and more intense and the, the Clemson fans could feel the wind getting closer and closer as the game got to that ninth inning. Um, and then the breath of air that rushed out of that place when the bomb was hit. I mean, I don't think I'll ever forget that. It was I mean, I was, an unbelievable game. I was I was nervous for the moment itself, and I'm not even out there because uh, Zane is a two-time guest of the show. One time when he was at Alabama, um, obviously one time with Tennessee, he came on with Burt. Um, but, you know, you know, down to your last strike. And, like, I've never been in a high-pressure situation like that, but I just can't imagine that. And then he just, like you said, I mean, he didn't just barely hit it over the fence. I mean, he teed off. And then, like, you talked about the bases loaded moments and everything. And, and you got a guy like Daniel Wright who – this man likes to go to bed on time, early. Meanwhile, you boys are making – because he ain't turning this thing off. I mean, and so y'all got y'all got, <laughs> y'all got got Daniel up all hours of the night, and he's conflicted. He don't know whether to be excited oh, or mad. <laughs> they're, lucky, they're, they're lucky there's a newborn in my house right now. My hours are all thrown off, so. You know, but yeah, like it is, <laughs> it's hard for me to, to stay up and watch games unless I'm like intently like invested. And that was a game that, you know, the guys that we bring on the show, like we're invested in their success and we want to cheer them on and we want them to do well. But outside of that, just the game itself, the magnitude, what it meant and just enjoyment of the game to see who's going to win like that that was enough for me and and yeah. so you know once once y'all took that game I didn't see a single you know with all the people I'll follow all the people I talk to there was no doubt everybody's like all right you know we we were already starting to really believe in this Tennessee team but to win a game like that um everybody believed y'all were going to move on and you know we're we're definitely okay Tennessee is the team that that we thought they were. And so y'all do advance and move to super regionals. And, you know, we, we talk about Hattiesburg. I had to go there last year for LSU's. Um, I have been a proponent of the hashtag grow the game. I try not to talk um, bad about anyone, even though there is a TikTok video trending on me from Omaha that I did not know was going to happen. Uh, we'll get it in a minute. Um, um, but nonetheless, I did not like Hattiesburg. It was hotter than hell, and the fans were rude. Um, so I felt for y'all when you had to go there. Um, and then you get severe weather delays. You're sitting under bleachers and everything else. But I'll leave all that out, make you not talk about anything. I'll, I'll be the one to say that, but I'll, I'll keep it as simple as this. <laughs> with everything y'all had to deal with between weather delays, hostility, you know, what was it like to go down there in Hattiesburg and be able to take that Super Regional and punch your ticket? Yeah, definitely. Definitely meant a lot to the program. And I think a lot to the guys that came back, like, um, you know, we got Camden Sewell, you got C. Scott, um, you got these guys coming back, and it's their last year of eligibility. You got Griffin Merritt. Um and, you know, we started out the year – we started out the year with a lot of expectation. And then last year's team obviously did some unreal stuff. And, and you know, that happened. So you've got a lot of new faces. 
you got last year's team that did what they did. You've got some te- some guys coming back, and it's their their last year of eligibility. Um, and then you start out the year getting swept in Missouri. So you've got a lot of – you've got so much going on in this year. And then, you know, it's kind of up, up for grabs on who's going to host this thing. And then we have to go down to Southern Miss, which, um, you know, we – we talked about proving ourselves on the road at South Carolina. So we knew we could do it. And then we go down there and the weather's awful. And, and then, you know, I didn't have the start that we needed for us to take game one. Um, but then we've got Dolander coming out there and he has one of his better performances of the year. Um, so it's like all of this stuff. And, and that series is kind of a, representation of the year as a whole because we had a lot of I mean the first game obviously we lost it um there was in the middle of the game we have adversity we were having to sit under a metal bleacher in a thunderstorm so I mean that That was so generous with them wasn't it (laughs) yeah um but it's you know and just to be able to come together as a unit and put together a series that we could all you know, be proud of. And then on top of that, it's to send us to Omaha. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it, I mean, it felt like something out of a movie, especially after the regional that we went through as well. Yeah, no doubt. And so you mentioned one of them, and I want to I bring up both these to, to talk about their pitching performances. Both are obviously guests of the the show, but you first you talked about Doe and, you know, mm-hmm. he had the inning where he gave up four runs, but it really speaks to his talent. It speaks to, you know, his mentality. You know, one of the biggest things, obviously, in the game of baseball, especially as a pitcher, is, is between the ears, right? It's the head game. Um, that could have absolutely took him out of the game. Instead, he just mm-hmm. comes out and pumps, like, the next four or five innings and is untouchable afterward. Um, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, to me, if, you know, obviously – we we know where he stands on the draft board, but you see something like that from a guy, you know, the stuff he's got, but that's a mentality. That's a guy I want a guy who's not phased mm-hmm. by in a, in a big time situation. And then the other, you know, Chase Burns, you know, coming in in relief. And obviously <laughs> he, some people didn't like the, the over excitement that he had, but dude pump one Oh two and blew it right by him and came in in a situation and where y'all needed him most like I don't care what like in in the in the throw slash obviously it was towards y'all it was in the moment he wasn't threatening nobody's life as people want to do like dude y'all had some yeah. serious pitching performances from some clutch dudes like it was it was just so cool to watch Andrew man like that that y'all didn't leave anything lacking in entertainment in your regional or super regional yeah I I remember specifically sitting in the dugout in that game and I think it, I mean it was like. Four, three or four innings after Doe gave up that four spot, like you mentioned, and I'm sitting there and me and Suey are talking. I think it was Suey, but me and another player is talking, and we look over the scoreboard and we're like, "Dude, just gave up a four spot, and then had the audacity to go four shutty right after it." Yeah, what are we watching right now? And it wasn't like, even just four. Sh- I mean, I, I think he gave a one hit, if I'm not mistaken. Like, I mean, he was just he was yeah. a pitcher. He was striking everybody out. Like, <laughs> it was unreal. And so, yeah, man, that, that was that was good stuff. And you obviously punch your ticket. And uh, also, shout out to y'all because a lot of people give Tennessee negativity. Uh, Daniel, you saw the video, same as me. 
um, the way that y'all, um, you know, gave a, a salute to Coach Barry, you know, obviously with it being his final game. It's funny how that video didn't surface nearly as much as Burns' actions because Tennessee always yeah. – everybody wants to villainize you guys. But y'all actually, um, you know, shout out to y'all for, for giving Coach Barry um, that respect and everything. And so, you know, you, yeah. you, you move on to Omaha where, you know, you get gifted. Andrew, you get gifted with a matchup. With Paul Steens. <laughs> so yeah. you, we've talked about, you know, you don't overthink these things. You're not scared of anything. You know, you've you've been to LSU this year and pitched, but now you're going to Omaha and you got to go against Paul Steens. Be honest with me right here. I mean, is there any extra thought about, damn, I gotta I gotta go against Skeens? I mean, I was excited for it. Um I was excited to for our hitters to get another chance at it. I was excited to give us a chance to to put together a good game against them and hopefully get us late enough into the game that we had a, a chance to still win it at the end. But I mean, no doubt, being able to start against him, um, it's kind of. I mean, it. I don't know if people talk about it, but obviously, there's always a a duel between starting pitchers. And that was the one that I was given. So, I mean, obviously I looked at it and, and knew that for us to have a chance, I needed to give us a really solid performance. But, um, you know, he, watching him is insane. So um, it was interesting to be able to, to go up against him and then to do it in Omaha too was. Yeah. So Daniel, we, we've talked about everything he's done, right? We start, we started with, from the juke all the way up. So just go ahead and add Omaha against Paul Schemes to the things that Andrews had to to face. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and you say against Paul Schemes, but I mean, that lineup is is obviously, I mean, you don't they aren't even close to a national championship without some of the hitters that they have in that lineup. So, I mean, that's that's a complete team right there, especially with Schemes on the bump. Yeah, yeah I mean, I mean you you know as well as I do, um, one guy can't win you a championship. It takes yeah. a lot of people. And as much as people want to say Paul Skeens was the one guy, he was a difference maker, yeah. But just like you said, without that lineup, those dudes, and Jim will be the first one to tell you, there are times where the bullpen wasn't there for LSU and they had to rely yeah. on how out hitting people and scoring a lot of runs and you know sometimes that's the case and you know Tennessee baseball knows how that works you know how how you got to be when you got to outscore people and hit bombs and, and put up a lot of runs on the board so it's it's unbelievable just like you said the just the level of talent that is on the field in Omaha with you guys with them and just I don't know it blows me away just knowing how much really how many really good baseball players are out there? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned that because um, the LSU bullpen had, had been a, a subject of worry, I think for them late making a late run in the, in the, I mean, postseason, but Omaha, especially because there's so many games and their man, their bullpen showed up yeah, in ways absolutely. that you hadn't seen all year. They, they were absolutely nails. But, you know, Daniel, I'll say this. the When we talk about the lineups, the when you look at Tennessee and LSU's losses, they had a very common cause. It was 
runners left on base. Um, both both in the games that they lost throughout the season, it was it was a lot of they just didn't hit with runners in scoring position, and and that'll catch you every time. But you know, sure. um, you know, it it was it was good. Y'all come back. I I went out there. Um, it's the, it's the only day I wore orange. Uh, supported y'all against Stanford. You know, you you guys got it done, and and so you get to draw LSU again and, and we obviously know how that went. So we're not even going to dive into it and you weren't, you weren't on the mound that day, but you know, just give me the overall final thought, man, you know, a kid dreams of, of playing in Omaha and you got to do it. Like, you know, just summarize it in a statement or whatever, you know, just how it felt to, to, to make it there and be able to accomplish playing on that stage. Like you said, it's a dream, man. Um, I've never been out there before, so being able to take in all the the sights, the sounds, the smells of the stadium, uh, the crowd was amazing. Um, yeah, it was it was truly a dream. It was awesome. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I'm gonna let Daniel play a game with with you, but man, you know, obviously, I've had some conversation with you, and for for those out there listening, you know. Um, you know, best of luck to you in the draft. If 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 it goes well, man, that's a, it's a great thing. If, you know, maybe things change and, you know, you end up back at Tennessee, I feel like y'all got a roster that's going to be right back in Omaha. So, Andrew, I feel like you're going to be winning in life one way or the other, man. You're, you're either going to be with a team that's going to be competing for a championship or you're going to be a part of a, a big league organization. So, man, I just want to tell you for me and, uh, and obviously Randy, who's the Tennessee fan who couldn't be here, uh, wish you nothing but the best of luck in the future, brother. I really appreciate it, man. All right, Andrew, it is time to play a game that over 200 guests have played. No, you're like, man, you're close to like 300 now. Hey, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of Tennessee, uh, current Tennessee players, alumni of Tennessee baseball that have played this game. So it's, it's interesting to get a chance to play it with you. Um, but if you would oblige us, we'd love to have you play this or that. All right, let's do it. All right, so we're going to officially call this the Chinook Cedary this or that game. This game is brought to you by the greatest seeds of all time. If you were in Omaha, you probably had a little kid running you down, slinging some seeds in your face, jalapeno, barbecue, ranch, traditional, you name it. You're getting every flavor of these craft seeds. They're quality seeds, no sandpaper tongue, the best of the best. So I challenge you, Andrew, if you haven't had these seeds, go out, grab you a pack, and tell me they're not the best seeds you ever had. If they aren't, I'll come on here and I'll retract everything I said. <laughs> I guarantee you, you'll be like, man, oh, he was right. Those seeds are the best. So with that, let's hop into the game, man. It's it's very simple, this or that. I give you two options. You choose one option or the other. Be decisive. Don't say both. Don't say neither. Go with your heart and pick one. You ready? Oh, goodness. I guess I'm ready. And all you right. got all new questions because it's a new season. New season, new questions, new guest. Here we go. Out the gate. Would you rather be a talker or a listener? Listener. Would Where's what's the hardest place to play, Bomb Walker or Alex Box? Bomb Walker. 
What is the hardest place you've ever played? Is Bomb Bomb the hardest place you've ever had to play? Probably, I'd say so. I mean, uh, I didn't see I didn't see you stepping off the mound phantomly at Bomb Walker. <laughs> I can't believe that happened. That's unbelievable. <laughs> Man, that wasn't the end of the world. I just stepped off and looked at the guy at first, and. and what sucks about that is immediately you're like, shit. Now I got to <laughs> deal with their nonsense for the remainder of this. So um, it's all about the experience, man. So I, I'm all right with it. All right. If you were left on an island with your worst enemy or no one, what would you rather pick? Would you rather at least have someone and it be your worst enemy or would you rather just be solo and Go on I'm your solo. I'm riding it out. Yeah. Yeah. Be lonely. Be alone. I feel like you'd go the same route, Daniel. I got to talk to somebody. Go ahead and bring on the enemy. We'll <laughs> argue all day. I just think about who my worst enemy is. And like, I think I would just, I would walk off in the ocean. Just <laughs> yeah. my chances of that. Uh, Smoky grays or dark mode blacks? Which uniform if you had to pick one? Dark mode. Dark mode. Man, you know, those smoky grays, man. I think those are my favorite uniforms. The black looks good, but those grays together, man, I just something about them. I don't know. The whole yeah. the whole Tennessee lineup of uniforms is is arguably the best top to bottom. Yeah, for sure. All right, golfing or fishing? Golfing. Can you golf? Are you a golfer? I picked up golfing when I was in my year off. Um, I don't necessarily think I'm good at it, but I enjoy it. When you total up your scorecard, is there three digits or two? Most of the time, two. Okay. He's way better than us. That's what, that's what that means. <laughs> Would you rather own a massive private jet or a massive yacht? Private jet or yacht? You, had the, you could own one of them. Which one? Jet. Yeah, I think so. It, it seems like the answer, but when I was looking this up, Daniel, and I was looking at giant yachts, I really want a giant yacht, bro. But you're limited to where you can go. That's but, what I'm saying. Dude, How quick you can the, get there. It's so sweet. I'm, look, it is I'm, on the water. Remember, I was in the Navy, bro. Look, man, this, this submarine nonsense that just happened <laughs> <laughs> I mean, off, off boats for a while yeah i'm a snappy person so the jet seems good to me i can i can zip around quick yeah that's i think that's it would you rather spend an hour in a walk-in freezer or two hours in a sauna let's say you could survive these two one hour in a freezer two hours in a sauna Am I? Do I get to take in clothes into the freezer, or am I just? I'm gonna be freezing, right? You're gonna be freezing, so you might have clothes, but it's going to. We're be just cold, cold. Basically, would you rather be freezing cold or sweating to death? I think I'm. I think I'm going with the cold, man. When I saw this question, Daniel, I thought this is the weirdest ass question, which is why I put it on here. I hate. <laughs> I hate being really cold, but I think I feel like I'm a hot person in general. So I feel like I can, I can get 
some warmth. But man, once you start sweating in a sauna, oof. I, I mean, I can make a case for either one, but I think I'm going to go sauna. I think I, I really am. I think I'm going to go sauna. All right. Would you rather win a million dollars, but you have to spend it on other people, or would you rather win a thousand dollars and you can spend it only on yourself? A million, for sure. And none of it, you get to spend none of it on you. It has to go to all other people. I got a lot of people I'd love to spend some money on, man. Man of the people. That's what I'm talking about. There is a lot of people in this world that I think would answer the question the same way, but they wouldn't mean it. But after talking for the past hour with you, I believe you're sincere when you say that. Just make sure I'm just make sure I'm on your list. All right, man. <laughs> I mean, obviously we don't know each other that well, but I mean, I don't know. Buy me something for two dollars. I'll get you a lollipop. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, Andrew, man, we're going to let you bounce. But before you do, anything you want to plug or promote? I'm good. I don't, I don't have anything to promote right now. Oh. At Tier SMA. My man beamed. I've got a, a family member that's also got SMA. So, Tier SMA. Tier SMA. Y'all heard it here, man. If you can do anything is there a website is there a donation link is there that was what was on there read that read that link andrew um it I, it just says cure sma cure sma dot org. org yeah dot org yeah cure sma.org oh shout out bentley yep go there and i tell you what you go there you take some time that you spend on twitter jim on Facebook, on all these social media accounts, and take two minutes of your time that you would spend there and go to the website, check it out, and throw them some love, throw them some support. But also, if you want to know what Andrew Lindsay's up to on a Monday night, maybe he's recording a podcast. Maybe on Tuesday, he's having Taco Tuesday. If you just want to see what he's doing, head over to IG at underscore Andrew Lindsay. Or if you want to stay up to date, with Tennessee baseball at Vol Baseball on Instagram. You'll get it all, get all the action. I know it's the off season, but they're still going to be putting stuff out there. But man, there's there's volunteer baseball off season and a lot of things with the portal and all kinds of, of <laughs> updates to stay abreast of. But also we got the draft coming up. So Andrew, man, we wish you nothing but the best. Whatever route that is destined for you. We know you're going to be great. We wish you nothing but the best. And if there's anything we can do for you, man, please reach out for us. Man, I greatly appreciate y'all having me on. It's been a lot of fun talking to y'all. Um, and good luck to y'all. Appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate it. That's Andrew Lindsay, everybody. We're going to take a quick break. And when I say quick, I mean like really tiny break because they're is a trip to Omaha that Jim was there for the entire Higher duration, and we just got to unpack this trip. We got to unpack college baseball, the finale, winners, losers, what's next, off-season updates. You name it, we're going to talk about it when we come back. Do you like having posters and supporting your favorite athletes? Well, the Athletic Collection gives you a chance to do that with the best posters in the game. They have many different teams with many different sports. 
myself as an LSU fan, I just got myself LSU baseball, LSU gymnastics, and LSU soccer posters to put up in the man cave. So get your posters today at the Athletic Collection, which you can find on Instagram and Twitter. Welcome back to the In Off the Bench podcast. Jim, we've got headlines, and really the headlines are one big overarching thing that happened over the past, what, 12 days, Omaha, College World Series. From start to finish, you were there. Um, You went in with the hopes of being able to stay for a long trip, and that's exactly what happened. For the first time, you were able to see your team from start to finish and win it all. Um, so I, I don't know with, with it being such a long trip and such, you know, incredible, like this is probably one of the best college world series that I've seen in a really long time. So it's, it's hard for me to decide where to start. So I'll get, I'll let you kind of take the lead here. And you were there from your perspective, like when you get there to the games, like, where do you want to take this journey? Where do you want to start? How do you want to, explain just Omaha and the experience. Well, let's start with just the baseball on the field and and not just take it to the LSU experience. Um, You know, right out the gate, every game was close. Um, One run games across the board, like up until you got, uh, you got to the second round and you had TCU, Oral Roberts and LSU, Tennessee, Every game was decided by one, and um, you that told me, Daniel, that you had the right the right teams there. Um, you had competitive baseball, and that's what people want to see, and that's why you said it was one of the best. The second part I will add, so obviously this is my third year to go in a row. When you usually go to those first couple games, um, especially with it still being the week, you know, it's not the weekend yet, um, maybe you don't have some of your primetime matchups in, like, you know, with, with the LSUs and the Wake uh, matchups. Um, the attendance is down. I go into that first game with um, TCU and uh, Oral Roberts, and, dude, 24,386, Daniel, on a 1 o'clock start on Friday, bro. Like, college baseball – when we talk about grow the game, you had 24,000 people there for TCU Oral Roberts on a Friday when there should be at work in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, shows you the fan base has traveled. It shows you the locals who like to come attend the games were there. Um, and like I said, a high-quality baseball right out the gate. Yeah, I mean, you you start off, just like you said, you know, immediately out the gate. And to me, it's – you, you look at the fans and you go 24,000 people for that first game, but you also think about just what the city of Omaha and just the College World Series does as far as the experience, because that's what they do. They create an experience outside the stadium, inside the stadium, in the, the surrounding areas uh, around the stadium. It's just family friendly. It's people go there. They have a great time, no matter who's playing. And it shows you get, you know, Oral Roberts, you get TCU uh, open things up and, you know, you got a big crowd, you got a great game, you know, you, you, it's, it's kind of like a really good start to something that's going to be special. So 
you you have that first day of games. Um, you obviously you get to see the one side of the bracket, and then your your teams play um, the second day. So talk to me a little bit about the the lead up to the game, what's going on, and then the actual game itself. Um. So no surprise. LSU um, showed up, showed out the fan base. Um, Would you say – I wanted to ask you this. Would you say of all the fan bases that were there, they were far superior in numbers compared to all the other fan bases? Daniel, I'll be honest with you, and if I take some hate for this, I'm I'm telling the truth. Um, you know, my 11-year-old son will tell you because he, he bleeds maroon. Um, LSU showed up better than Ole Miss did last year or Mississippi State the year before. Um, the you know, the tailgate experience for LSU is just next level. And then obviously Rocco's, first of all, the the owner of Rocco's, you know, giving half the money back to the food bank, so it's charitable too, but making a competition within a competition and then Ole Miss being the ones holding that record which a lot of LSU fans like to look at them like little brother um, and saying, um, you come beat our record. So everybody before they're heading to the tailgates, they're hitting up Rocco's. This thing's already almost getting broke by day two, and we ain't even played a game yet. <laughs> Let me ask you this. How, how many jello shots do you have to put on the board before you go, ooh, man, these people might have a problem. <laughs> well, for, is, it, for, is it like 10,000? Is it 20,000? Because, uh, I mean, Ole Miss, like, they're in the same boat. Like, I would say they put up a number that I would be like, oh, man, they have a problem. Well, 50,000? No, we ended up crossing. We ended up, I think we ended up like 68,000. I'm just saying 50,000, 50, like, is a good round number that you got. That we know you guys hit, whether it was 50 or 60. Fifty thousand shots at five dollars a pop. Well, you had you had your huge fan base in general. Then you had people. So you know how people were Venmoing me money. You had a lot bigger names than me. That like drunk Brian Kelly is a huge Twitter account. He had over a thousand dollars, or not thousand dollars, more than a thousand, five thousand basically, because to buy a thousand shots. And all oh, another shout out, Daniel. You remember how last year I told you they had the pre-made funky Jello shots. These were real. They had a whole new bar set up to 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 actually make these. These were real alcohol. They're legit. So you couldn't just put down like 20 of them and it's like you just ate a couple bowls of jello. If you if you were going to take these things down, you, you were going to be feeling them. And uh and so it was man, the way they put a competition within a competition and then you're raising money towards the local food banks um and you had all these people coming in and just you had people buying them by the hundreds. It and the pizza's fire too. It gets kind of lost in the whole thing. Rocco's pizza's is fire, and so they had that. And then the LSU tailgates—they were just—they're absolutely jumping off. You've seen the picture, obviously, uh, the pictures I've sent you from day one all the way to you know cooking a gator, dude, a massive gator at that. Like it was just man, the the tailgating atmosphere was great. Tennessee did a great um, tailgate setup. I'll tell you the nicest fan base, and you won't be surprised by this at all, Daniel. I probably had, um, over the course of the time they were there, 100 different conversations with Wake Forest baseball fans. 
Maybe it's because they're not in the SEC and volatile. I don't know. They were the nicest fans, Daniel. I had drinks with a lot of them, had broke bread with a lot of them. Just nice people, man. I mean, it's uh, it's Carolina, nicer people. Um, uh, they're they're still new, not new, but it's they're they're new to the the Omaha thing. So like the SEC is kind of one of those things where you know somebody from the SEC is probably going to go there, but you know Wake Forest is is that being very like um, grateful for the opportunity. So they're just taking advantage of the people they meet and just taking the whole experience in. So, um, but I think if they went five or six times in a row, they would still be the same people. Cause just the people we've interviewed from Wake Forest, the uh, people you've talked to, even when you went uh, to Winston Salem, like it was all great experience. Where, where do you that think they, surprise. where do you think they finished in the jello shot challenge? I mean, probably last. Second. Second? Last is the same team that was last last year. Who were we doing pity shots for last year? Stanford. Stanford. Stanford, Stanford didn't even break a 1,000. Yeah, because they, they're too busy reading. reading too, books. too busy nah, it's, reading. It's, uh, it's, what a great cause. And, like, that's now become this thing. And, like, my fear is, like, that – LSU's 50,000 doesn't stand a chance. What if I what if I gave you breaking news on this podcast that I haven't even told you yet? Oh, oh I, can't, I, I can't wait. Can't I, wait. Breaking news. I obviously told you I met and was hanging out with the the guys who run Rocco's and they this past season I don't know if you saw it they came to Baum Walker and set up a station well after what LSU did um they got my contact info and they want to work with us and a couple others to set up at a football and a baseball tailgate to get the jello shot and the thing is I told my wife because it seems like okay they're trying to actually come in and make a killing on this fan base. And and yes, they are going to make their money. But it's what I just told you. Half the money goes back to the food bank. So if you can get LSU, who loves to drink, an opportunity to drink and for a good cause at a sporting event, everybody's winning, Daniel. And so I'm going to help get this thing set up. And so I don't know which games yet and what, what series in baseball and what game of football yet, but, but be looking for Rocco's to be coming down south of Baton Rouge, baby. Rocco's is branching out, marketing. I mean, they're going to be worldwide before you know it. Like, and, and like I said, under, under the radar, their pizza is fire. I mean, you know what? I'm going to be able to go online, and I'm going to be able to order Jello shots from Rocco's and have it delivered to my house in Florida. It's beautiful. Can't wait. But let's, let's get to that second day of games, man. So I wanted to tell you the – the Wake Forest Stanford game, I'd be remiss, man. Who's been my guy all year? If we're talking about somebody not on our team, Brock Wilkin, Brock Wilkin hits a monster shot. And I got to meet Mama Wilkin at that very game. Um, it was cool. As a matter of fact, it killed me because Jackson was waiting at the team bus for all the guys. And 
Ciceri and Kurtz and and all them took pictures and signed his autograph book and Brock didn't come out because he was too busy on ESPN. He uh he had to get a private ride back. And so uh obviously I'd get to catch up with him later, but uh yeah, leave it leave it to Brock to hit a monster bomb. And and you know, Daniel, I heard Wake Forest only hit home runs because they played in a tiny ballpark. Well, about that. Yeah, uh, about that. <laughs> they hit, they hit shots. It's it's not even debatable. Like the sh- the home runs they hit at their home park would be gone in Omaha probably as well. I mean, yeah, and no doubt and, in my mind. And and then as far as Tennessee LSU atmosphere was electric, and you know I just want to say something on the LSU note overall. And we're actually um, another breaking news note. You don't got to hit the horns for this one unless you want to. Go ahead. You want me to? Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Breaking news. It is not on our slated schedule. We're going to try to find a way to get in. But uh, Cade Beloso and Rodney Beloso, both guests of the show, because we had the LSU dads on, they're going to come on and talk about Cade's journey because I bring that up because Cade, in my personal opinion, you know, we were talking about Paul Skeens and Andrew Lindsay. I think Cade Beloso got robbed of the most outstanding player of the College World Series. He was money from game one to the very last game. The Creole Bambino wasn't wasn't just doing decent. My man was hitting clutch bomb after bomb. He was getting hit by pitch, back-to-back at bats, getting key base running, scoring runs. He was doing everything he needed to do. He was even their hype man, as you expect, as usual, um, and this is a guy who he even uh, moved him to the leadoff spot. He, and, but it was a, all right. As much as I've been on Jay Johnson, so he I mean, did good, inti- good he did that intentionally with the lefty on lefty thing, and he got hit his first two at bats, uh, and because because Cade crowds the plate, and and the way he had also been hitting it, so it was you know he figured it to go one way or the other. I'm sure he didn't expect him to to get hit both times, but it worked it worked out. But Cade, Cade was just money, and I bring it up because you could obviously talk about a lot of these guys. Dugas, who's a five-year senior, who had his impact on the whole thing. Malazzo. Um, but the reason I focus on um, Beloso specifically, we had him on here. He was our first-ever LSU baseball guest. You know, he lost his position to Trey Morgan and, and you know, basically rode the bench for a year. Then – First game of the year, the next year, in the pregame celebration, he tears his ACL, is out for the whole year. Comes into this year, he's battling like four different guys for the DH position, doesn't start, and by midseason, he's a staple of the lineup, and by Omaha, he's the guy. Like, this, I I told he was the very last person I talked to, Daniel, when I left Omaha. He was outside the Hilton when me and Jackson were walking the parking garage, and uh, Jackson was like half asleep, and he actually shook him. And said, "Wake up! We just won a championship." And uh, and Jackson started laughing. And uh, you know, I dapped him up and I told him, "I said, man, when you look up perseverance in the in the dictionary, Cade, man, you might find your picture, because this guy had every reason. Daniel, he probably could have hung up the cleats at any point. He or he could have been a bad teammate. You know, I'm not playing. I've been sitting here for a few years. All he did was go out there and work his ass off, and then was rewarded in the highest way possible. Yeah, I mean." The odds definitely heavily stacked against him and still like persevered and 
paid off. The guy was clutch. You're right. I think, um, you know, when you look at the games that he was big in, he was a contributor as far as winning the game or getting the game going in the right direction. Right. Like, you know, you can call the champ, the, the, the game three of the, the finals, um, you know, him moving to lead off and getting hit twice um, back to back starts things moving in the right direction, especially when, you know, Florida did have a good inning and you were like, Oh, okay. Like, what are we going to do to respond to that? And then boom, he gets hit, gets on base. And then before you know it, you know, he gets hit again and then the floodgates kind of open from there. But yeah, I think arguably I was thinking the same thing. I was like, man, you know, Kate has a chance to be most outstanding player for sure. Has it, has it become, and, and I don't want to take too long on this and I don't want to get controversial, but when you look at, you know, it was obviously Delusia last year, as Bednar the year before. Has it kind of became the pitcher's award? You think when a pitcher's dominant? Um, yeah, we talked about this because there, there's a guy who's every day in the lineup doing more. But when you have a couple outstanding pitching performances that just really stand out, it kind of just you know takes the spotlight. Yeah, because when you're able to go to that level and dominate hitters the way that like a Paul Skeens did. And like, you know, for him, he's going to get two starts. He might get a chance to come out of the bullpen if things pan out the right way. Um, But when you look at the games that he started, game one, which is a necessity to win if you really want to have a chance to win it all, and he didn't just go out there and pitch okay and win the game. He, he dominated. Um, and then the next game, you got to have that game to put yourself in a position to play for the championship. So he goes out, does his thing. And so I can see like the magnitude of the games that he pitched in and he was just unbelievable and how like that like he can be considered for that over some other people. And and, and, let, and let's get to one of those matchups. You talk about living up to the billing, Daniel. Rhett Louder versus Paul Skeens. It, I think that somebody be. had to lose. Like that's, you know, and Rhett was as advertised. And I think in that game, he had some redemption from his outing in game one. Um, but he comes in and, and to have to match pitch for pitch and inning for inning, like he did with a guy like Skeens, like that's unbelievable. So. Dude. Yeah. And, and, and the thing was, I had a lot of people ask me when the, the uh, Omaha all, all first team, you know, all Omaha team came out uh, or college world series team, how, Rhett Louder wasn't there with Paul Skeens. I said, well, IOTB guest Ty Floyd casually went out there. My guy's career high, don't quote me, I think was 10 strikeouts. If not, it was it was tops 12. I don't think I've ever seen him throw more than 10, but maybe 
Let's just, just we'll give him twelve just for the sake of argument because I don't, I don't feel like looking it up right now. He just goes out there and throws seventeen Ks, Daniel, against yeah. Force, and that's why anybody. This is what I told. This is what I told one of the fans earlier. I said Rhett Lauder's fixing to get drafted in the top ten. He'll be okay, but Ty Floyd had his had his moment of his lifetime. He went out there and had seventeen strikeouts against an offense like Wake Forest, the number one ranked team in Omaha. You just don't get performances like that. And you're talking about a guy, Ty Floyd, where Andrew was talking about people. It wasn't even just the people questioned bullpen. People questioned anybody outside of Skeens pitching. And he goes out there and goes eight innings, man. And and those at those 17Ks, like they, – They try to get him a, a CG. They try, but he, – He just ran out of gas. And yeah. Yeah. At that point, it's like, all right, well, well, what are we doing? Like, bring our guys in. Let's shut this thing down. And let's let's go home with the, with a W. I mean, you don't want to chance it and risk having something crazy happen to a guy who just pitched, you know, every out except for seven batters that he faced mm-hmm. was a strikeout. Like, that's unreal. So to turn it for a second, so we don't make this whole thing about LSU because we want to talk about Omaha as a whole. Let's we'll, we'll start with let's we'll start with the the worst of the worst. Um, you spent most of the postseason picking against Virginia because you just didn't think um, they were all that good. Obviously, they proved you wrong in a way by making it. But then when they got to Omaha, they were the first team two and done. So I say that to say, Daniel, you probably weren't surprised even a little bit that they were the first team out. No, not not in the slightest. I mean, if you were to rank those eight teams, like to me, they're towards the bottom. So if you're going to pick a team that's going to be eliminated first, it's going to have to be one of those bottom teams. So, yeah, like that'd probably be my pick to go out first. And then, I mean, Oral Roberts, we talked about it. You know, they lost both their games by – you know, one run um, and Cape Coast. Of course, then again, Virginia, you know, Virginia lost both their games by one run too. So, you know what? Let me run that back because I, I was going to give Oral Roberts credit that I didn't give Virginia. Um, it just, I guess, I don't know. It felt like Oral Roberts, get, for whatever reason, it felt like both games Oral Roberts actually had a, especially the Florida game. I thought they – that stat that came up, have you, as long as you've watched baseball, Daniel, have you ever heard a st- had a stat that came up when a team is trailing by, they had won seven straight games when they were trailing by three or more runs coming into the ninth. And, and then they ended up loading the bases. Well, and they had just beat TCU by doing that. Right. And so seven straight, that is the weirdest the craziest that I've ever heard seven straight games win trailing three or more. Well, and, but here's, here's the reality. Here's the flip side of that is they also lost two games where they left on like 30 base runners. And that's unorthodox baseball for oral Roberts. That's not what got them there. It was the exact opposite of being able to capitalize and get timely hits with guys on base. Um, but yeah, like saying that you had the opportunity to win games is 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 important, but not as important as actually winning the game. Yeah, and I'll say this on that side of the bracket: it's it's a real disservice to those teams to say that the other bracket was that much better. But it really is the truth of the matter. Um, 
Florida, it wasn't a cakewalk. That's not what I'm saying. But they didn't have to deal with the same. I mean, to to just be honest, I think a lot of people felt um, that LSU, Wake Forest really felt like the actual championship. I, here's the thing, too. If you put, well, really, any of those teams, if you put Wake Forest, if you put Tennessee on the other side of the bracket, away from a Paul Skeens, like Tennessee doesn't have to play Paul Skeens, they probably win game one. And that changes the whole dynamic of their tournament. Or even if you go Wake, it's it's so even Wake Forest, like having Hart, to, Hartle, you would add Hartle going against in the second game. And so when you're talking about um uh, uh I'm gonna go mind blank, uh, Florida stud the uh, um Hurston Waldrop, you know, you know with Hurston Waldrop, you have a, an advantage on anybody, not if you're playing Wake, because you got Hartle who can go tit for tat with him. Yeah. Um I mean I, I just think outside of a Paul Skeens or a Rhett Louder. Everybody else, as far as starting pitchers, are pretty evenly matched. I don't – outside of those two, I think you're going to have a Hartle, you're going to have a Waldrop, you're going to have um, guys with big arms that are, are going to be able to do stuff. But – even a guy like Doe Lander, just based on his season, I love Doe, but he didn't have the season that a guy like Louder or Paul Skeens had. So, like, to, you know, I think where you're matched up in Omaha makes a difference. And I think if you put Tennessee on the other side, you put Wake Forest on the si- other side. I could of- make a case if you put Stanford, they give you a tough run. I mean, Stanford it was yeah. – I mean, there's a reason we – and there's a preseason team for us that, that you know, they go under the radar because nobody sees them on the West Coast, obviously. But they're just a team that's been to Omaha three straight times. Right. Yeah, I would. Uh, yeah, it's 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 that's the only way to shake it up, man, is if, if that other side of the bracket is probably significantly different and you may not have Florida, but you might have Florida. Florida, like, I don't want to discredit what they did. They played really well. Um. But where they didn't play well is in that the two games they lost in the championship series. They yeah. Well, and and so let's let's get to this. So obviously, Wake and LSU go to eleven innings, um, and LSU beats them, and then they go to eleven innings in Game One against Florida. And I'll be honest with you, even though I think Wake is the better team, the Florida one was scarier for me, Daniel, because Florida was the home team. And so you always feel good when you have that last at bat, right? And that and and that's what we have with Wake. And so the Florida one, you know me, I tend to be a, a pessimistic type person, unfortunately. And I just kept waiting for them to walk us off and break my heart. And then that's when the Creole Bambino struck, right? And he had his two-run bomb and – I had a feel like I just the way the game was going I was like and I even told Michelle this I said this game is going to end because somebody hits a home run yeah and the, and the interesting dynamic was what Andrew talked about so when we're talking about going into 11 inning games and you're holding runs LSU wasn't supposed to be able to do this right because they don't have a bullpen but yet these guys all came in 
and we're nails, dude. I mean, Hooper. That, I mean, what you really got is you got Ackenhauser who really started games and ate up innings, which allowed the bullpen not to have to be taxed as much. You had he, to start. The, the Ackenhausen one is huge, Daniel, because the idea – he was going out there to start, but there was never in a million years that they thought he was going to go even closer. You were hoping to get four out of him at best, and he made it to where you only had to use one other pitcher. Are you kidding me? I mean, you got Gidry who – did a phenomenal job. Riley, who did a f- absolutely phenomenal job I, on on four occasions. Ry- Riley, yeah. Riley was it. it was, I mean, he was the dude out of the pen, and and then Thatcher Hurd coming in for the game for game three. You know, I I apologized, and I, if you didn't see it, Daniel, because you're never on there. Um, so he gives up that two run bomb right um, to Langford and. That's obviously early in the game, and I said because Paul had told me that he he wanted the ball, he was going to have the ball if it was up to him. When we talked to Omaha, and so by all accounts, I I expected him to have the ball. No different than Bednar did on short rest. No different than Delusia was going to had they went to a game three. And so when it was stature, and then he gave the two run bomb, I I tweeted out and I said this is why Paul Skeen should have the ball. And then kind of like when we were talking about the Dolander four-run thing, even though this was only two runs, afterward, he was just lights out. And I and I did a tweet somewhere around the fifth or sixth inning, and I said, when I'm wrong, you know, I'll own it. I apologize, Thatcher Heard, because after that two-run bomb, he was just money. I didn't think in under any scenario except for one that we were going to see Paul Skeens for a third time. Well, he was warming up in the bullpen, and then and I and, and I still, right now, only believe that was done for dramatic effect. I don't think they had any intention of putting him in the game. Yeah, because at that point, the, there's no reason to bring him in. There's not. Yeah, it's well, not, I thought they were not a one run game. Or not. I, I thought they were just going to bring him in. I thought they were just going to bring him in actually to. Um, Pitt maybe face one batter and give him a roaring ovation and then, and no. then take him out. There's too much at stake to do something dumb like that. That would be just dumb. You definitely can't end the game with him. And I thought about this. I saw some tweets, and, and the reason me and this means something to me and you is because Landon Sims came on here and talked about how bad the bottom of the dog pile was. And you got a guy who's talking about going um, one, two, or three. And I thought – that's the, only, that's the only scenario, though, that I could see him going in the game is if there were runners on base and the game was on the line. But could you imagine? But you could you imagine the thought process of, um, you know, you're already on. People have been talking about risk of getting hurt on short rest, but then he's going to end up at the bottom of this dog pile. Instead, he ends up actually. Do you know he still had the most glorious moment of dog pile? Did you happen to see the video of how he came to the dog pile? No. If you told me, do you know who was wearing the dog pile? It all just looks like a he, he he was the last one on the dog pile. And let me tell you why. My man picked up Alex Malazzo and put him on his back and carried him out there because you know Malazzo. Um, I haven't had confirmation on what happened to him. They think he broke his foot. Um, you know, in that play where he was jumping over the catcher. Anyway, my man, talk about a teammate. 
he threw Malazzo up on his back and ran out there with on his back to the dog pile. And so then he ended up being the last one. My wife said that was her favorite clip of the whole thing. She said, seeing a guy pick up his teammate and put him on his back and carry him out for that moment. And he didn't walk out there with him. He ran out there with him on his back. So overall experience, good, great, probably. Um, your team start to finish dominated and won. Um, the experience for you and your son can't beat it. The experience of the fans, just not just LSU fans, but all baseball fans, uh, the people that we network with, that we connect with about growing this game, all there and every everybody's just having a good time. So and, and Daniel, I didn't get to I didn't get to mention that on here. And this is not to to gloat or brag, but you know, there's times where I feel like are is what we're doing mattering. Daniel, I will say over a 12 day span non-exaggerating at least 500 people told me that they liked our show they listened to our show one i had one college student told me he listened to us on the whole 14 hour drive up from baton rouge i had one of the athletic uh directors from lsu's uh baseball department tell me he loves the show just a whole bunch of different people and that meant the world there were people wanting to know where they could buy the t-shirts and, you know, my wife actually wanted to send me with some shirts, but I told her, actually, I said, I wasn't trying to have the responsibility of walking around selling stuff. The irony was I was walking around watching my my kids slang seeds instead. Um, but um, yeah, so now, now, you know, he's got the gift. Well, and here's the thing. We, we have to we have to fix this. He was never we don't break child labor laws. He was never selling seeds. What he was doing was going out and promoting for Chinook for them. He was out there giving away free seeds. Now, you had the opportunity to tip him. And LSU fans, that's where they showed out, Daniel. They were all across the board tipping him. And then the funniest one, the greatest accomplishment one, was there was he had like five packs left in the box. And the guy hands him a $100 bill and says, son, go enjoy the tailgate and get you some food. Go Tigers. And took the box from him. And uh, I took the picture of my son with a hundred dollar bill in his eyes, and he couldn't believe it. Anyway, and I was, and they did this the whole way. Like, I mean, you had some women, you had women that didn't want uh, any seeds that would give him a twenty. And and I don't know if I even told you this part. He had his notes in his hat. He would take off his hat and study his notes. The the six flavors, mild to wild. He knew where they were stationed out of. He knew or sorry, where they the location that they they work out of. He knew that they had less salt than David's. He had all the notes, Daniel. They said, I mean, he was not only cute, but just intelligent. And he was he was working the game, bro. So next year, like I gotta, I gotta come more ready. But I'll tell you this and I'll end this. This will be my final note, Daniel. Dude, dude can't can't clean up his room, but he can go out there and remember 32 facts on Ta Ta Taylor Wood. Taylor was pissed that she she's doing a house sitting dog sitting job for a week and a half and she made less money than her brother did in three hours in Omaha. That that's a that's a fact. What's she gonna do when she comes here and she does it for free? <laughs> I already told her. But no, I'll end with this, Daniel. If it I, I'll say this and and it's the truth. I, I promise on everything. And and he is a Mississippi State fan. But if you take Cameron James out of the equation. 
that dude would not even have a close comparison about which which trip was better. He met way more people and had way more fun on this trip. The thing is, Cameron James is his hero, still is his hero. Talked about him while he was there. But if you take Cameron out of the equation, for Jackson, obviously this trip was better, in my opinion. Jackson would even tell you that this trip was better. Omaha, three years. For anybody listening, you know, I know it's been a long episode. You have to go. Even if, like, some LSU fans just did the opening weekend, so did Tennessee fans. Even if you just go for the opening ceremonies and catch the first few opening games, like Daniel said, to, to go to Ballpark Village, to go to Rocco's, to just, I mean, they it doesn't matter. They have kid-friendly stuff. They have adult stuff that's just absolutely jumping off at night, which we don't go to because I got an 11-year-old. It is, it is a whole big scene that's just – it's not rivaled. So – Let's let's get to it. Obviously, we we've got to get to the point where we talk about a team that can win it all next year. But before we get there, we got to talk about the transfer portal. Um, you know, Braswell from South Carolina is now gone. Um, you've got Chase Burns who is in the portal. The rumor is um, TCU, and it's a strong rumor. Yeah, there's other guys' names that are rumored to be out there. I don't want to throw names out there until I know for sure. Um, I don't know if you know any other names for sure. I know that we've talked about. We have a get. We have a guest, Adam Ciceri. Um, He's looking to make a home in the SEC, um, leaving Wake. Um, so he's another guy. I mean, but that the- about Lane. Oh, Lane Forsyth uh, is guest. He's Oklahoma State Cowboy. Um, I think that's a that's going to be a good change of scenery um, for him. But it's the sheer numbers that I really want to talk about, Daniel, not even individuals. I mean, right out the gate by the hundreds um, on the move, um, you know, for one reason or another, whether it's playing time or they, you know, just the school wasn't the fit or, you know, they they want to win a championship. Like just and, – and so I see these uh, – not too early preseason rankings like we see in every sport, right? But I've refused to do one because I have no idea yeah. what anybody's right. Like, you know, you can't you can't fathomably make any kind of predictions right now because any roster could have five more got big names that we don't know or five less, right? If you take take LSU. At this point last year, you probably wouldn't say LSU is my favorite to win. No. They didn't have, they didn't so, have wider schemes. Right. They, they didn't have or any. Or Thatcher Hurd. So, I mean, are, are we having to make a pick today or are we just saying getting to the point where, you know, we could talk about making a pick, but really the – the reality is, is that we really can't make a true preseason pick. This isn't one we're going to be held accountable to. This is more of a fun based upon what we know now. Just based, you know, let's make a bold prediction. Because I'm definitely not going to make a wrong prediction because for those listening, I'm, I am going to gloat on this. I am batting 1,000. Since we've done this show, you can listen. You can find the Twitter receipts because I've made sure to share them. I'm three for three preseason national champions. 
I'm 16 for 24 in Omaha picks. So for the people who say he never played baseball, take that for data. Ooh, take that for data. Well, then pick one. Pick one already. Arkansas. Wow, that is a, a bold move, Cotton. Bold move. I mean, I, I feel like you could throw Arkansas out there and they're going to be in the mix. Well, yeah. I, I made a decision like before. A, I, I made a decision before I was going to make this pick that no matter what, I wasn't going to pick LSU, right? Um, you look at the fact that it was Mississippi State, Ole Miss, LSU. You just you you look at the way it's the SEC, but specifically the SEC West, the way these teams are stacked, and then the fact that you got Hagen Smith and Brady Tiger and Gage Wood and Kendall Diggs and Peyton Stovall all coming back. They have a top – I think they actually – no, they do have the number one um, recruiting class coming in. Um, and they just – they've been on the cusp so many times that if I'm going to pick someone not LSU and not be a homer, um, I want my man Brady Tiger. I want our dude Hagen Smith. If it's not going to be LSU, that's my pick. I'm going to Arkansas. SEC continues to run Omaha. All right. I I don't see anything wrong with that pick. Um, I think for me, it would be silly for me not to go with South Carolina. <laughs> I mean, it would just be silly for me not to pick them. Um, but like if you talk about ifs and if this happens, if TCU gets a guy like Chase Burns. That's a difference maker on a very good team. And, and they've already made a few pickups. Like we said, we weren't in the individual ones, but they've actually already made a few. Big, TCU is a, a hotspot destination right now. Yeah. So, but you also got, you know, the emergence of like, or the reemergence, so to speak, of teams like Vanderbilt, teams like Florida, teams in the SEC that, are notoriously good that didn't make it to Omaha or did make it to Omaha and have some talent that they're going to continue to have. Um, well, you know, there's a non-SEC team that, and and you know, next week we're gonna we're gonna talk to to our guests. But you know, they're losing. That's, a, that's an interesting interesting question. I wanted to ask you about that, and I guess now is a good time because we don't have him on the show, and I don't want to talk about that next week. Is do they replicate what they did this season? I believe they can, and that's where I was going with that. Not, not only do you have guys transferring in there, but um, they're just losing a few key players. And while they're while we're talking about a Rhett Louder and a Brock Wilkin, right? But you're talking about you and 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 Manasi, the the closer, the other two starters, weekend starters that we've been bragging about all year, they're back. We're talking about Nick Kurtz. Tommy Hawk, those guys, they're back. Like this, and and they've now become a destination that guys are going to want to go to. Um, I firmly believe Wake is is the front runner for the ACC again. Is this the year that we put money on them? Ah, uh, you and you know what? You made that joke on me, and I was going to feel like such ish if they won it all. Luckily, it was the team that only was like plus 450. We wouldn't have made hardly anything. 
Plus, you feel much better about not making money and your guys winning. So Absolutely. But, yeah, you if you look at the teams that are there, and, and I'll end on this because I don't want to keep this all night. If you look at Tennessee, Wake Forest, TCU, LSU, those teams like it's not unreasonable that at least half the field, Florida, I meant to mention, half the field that was just there is back. It's not unreasonable even in the slightest. No, no, I don't think so either. All right, final thoughts. What you got? Last call. Man, I just – I want to thank every – obviously, it's a new season, so it kind of feels weird, but every guest that we had – obviously, we do more than baseball, but – this has been more of a baseball episode. We're going to have our episodes where we're fixing to get into basketball, volleyball, and everything else in between. But I just want to thank our guests because we've talked about this, and and we had 30 guests in in Omaha making the game more fun because it's, the game itself is an amazing game. It's a kid's game. It's fun. But when you have rooting interest and um, when you see the video that I released – you know, hugging those weight guys and having legit conversations and them telling me what it meant for in off the bench for us three guys to support them all season. Um, you know, it meant a lot. And they thanked us for everything we did. And and I told them, no, thank you, because we got to watch you guys on TV, in person, everything else in between. And it was worth every minute of it. And whether it was, you know, not even just them, TCU telling Trey Richardson that. I think all these guys were coming on here, sharing their story. They're the ones growing the game. Yes, we're doing the show, but it's their story. It's their play on the field um, that's doing it. And thank you for giving us, um, you know, the opportunity to to support you. Um, and, you know, Daniel, thank you, man, for being the host on the show for a platform that we get to to give them. And so 2023, man, putting a bow on the baseball season, man, what a season, what a ride. Like, obviously I need a little time to step back, but when I say I can't wait till the next season, I can't wait. My final thought, amazing season, amazing guests, um, you know, looking forward to more amazing guests. I mean, the podcast is only – getting stronger and that's just a, uh, you can only contribute that to the supporters, the guests, the network of people that we have that are doing what we're trying to do, which is grow the game each and every day. Um, shout out to them, but also Jim, something to think about. Just think about this, think about this idea. And this is kind of a dream scenario. We get an RV, we travel down to Omaha, make a few stops along the way, got the road Roadcaster Pro in the RV, doing some shows, having some fun. We pull up to Omaha in our RV and we tailgate and we enjoy the festivities and we have a great time. How's that sound? Uh, it sounds like the time of our lives. I think so. And with that, I'm going to end our, my little dream sequence with that. But 
Another great episode. I want to thank Andrew Lindsay. What a dynamite guest, man. I'm, I'm excited to see what's next for him. It, it, it may be pro baseball. It may be back at Tennessee. But either way, we know big things are coming with him. And if you like hearing Andrew's story or you just like hearing us average Joes talk X's and O's, please like and share the podcast on Facebook. Retweet us on Twitter. Listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. As always, comments, ratings, feedback, thumbs up, hearts, love, hugs. We'll take it all. We will take it all. We got a great season. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to Episode 1, Season 8. But we're not stopping there. We got Episode 2 coming at you. We got Tommy Hawk, Wake Forest Baseball. We got possibly, Jim, possibly the best hair flow game that we've ever had on the show. It's possible. It's a a tough competition. It is. It it really is. But I've seen them, man. I've seen them run. I've seen them catch in and like just the breeze. It's just (laughs) a thing of beauty, man. But it's going to be another great episode. So once again, as always, this has been the In Off the Bench podcast. As always, remember, strong body, sharp minds, grit and grind all the time. We're out.